Our scripture reading today will be from Matthew 7, 13 and 14, and it's from the message. Don't look for shortcuts to God. The market is flooded with surefire, easygoing formulas for a successful life that can be practiced in your spare time. Don't fall for that stuff, even though the crowds of people do. The way to life, to God, is vigorous and requires total attention. Morning, church. If you've got your Bibles, please open them up to Matthew chapter 7. Ty got called at the very last minute this week. He wasn't scheduled to lead today, so uh, would you just join me in saying thank you to Ty for the great job he did this morning. Thanks, Ty. The phone rang in my office, and it um, couldn't have made me more relieved. The number identified on the phone let me know it was from my home. I gave my standard greeting gateway, Church, this is Jimmy, how can I help you? And the voice on the other end was Lauren, the oldest of our two girls. And she squeaked out in tears, Dad, you actually left us. I knew you said you would, but I didn't think you'd do it. To be honest, I was smiling. My stomach was doing somersaults because of the anxiety of wondering if this was actually going to work. But it was the wildest combination I'd ever experienced as a parent so far in trying to help raise two kids to love Jesus. I gathered myself and I said, morning, pumpkin. Wow, I'd, I know it was tough to find this night at home. We missed you at breakfast, missed hugging your neck goodbye. My mom and I have some pretty important jobs to get to. And I'm curious, is George and Carlene's phone number right there next to the phone like we said it would be? She said, yes, sir. Just like we talked about last night, remember, the next thing you need to do now is pick up the phone and call George because he's promised he'll be there till about 9 o'clock and he has some important things he needs to do. I wouldn't waste time calling him. And oh, by the way, remember to tell Tabitha she needs to bring her $2 along with your $2 to take care of his gas and expenses for coming to take you to school. Okay. Love you, pumpkin. Love you too. Now, before you try to turn us into Child Protective Services, number one, they're already grown too bad. <laughs> but what you've just heard is part of a training session, a real-life exercise that Gail and I learned from some very capable people that we trusted with um, teaching us how to be better parents. We teamed up with our um, friends to help our fifth grader and our third grade girls learn how to get out of bed on their own. Now, probably nobody else but preacher's kids have that struggle, but we did in our house, severely. I don't know if it came in the DNA. I don't know if they got it from peers at school. Hated to get out of bed to go to school. Saturday morning was a different thing. Oh, baby, crack of the dawn. Saturday morning at our house meant sweet cereal and cartoons. And, man, they could get up for those things. But get out of bed on Monday morning for school, not in the sportsman household. In a few moments, I'll tell you how that turned out. And it may sound a little bit strange, but I, I get worn out with asking kids to do something and then being ignored. <laughs> and threats in our angry voice didn't seem to work. And sometimes in our angry voice, we would make threats that we had to then back up with some discipline in the morning. And I'm telling you, the sportsman household in the morning was just not a great place to be. And so we called a couple of our close friends for advice. They, too, were Christians. They both were in ministry, Mike and Sharon Danchak. And they also taught seminars on the weekends every now and then called Making Children Mind Without Losing Yours. I love that. 
So we called them and said, we need some help with this. And they said, well, there is no surefire answer. There's no absolute guarantee for anything when it comes to parenting. But here, we want to send you a Jim Fay CD. The title of it is Helicopters, Drill Sergeants, and Consultants. They told us it would be in the, in the mail, and sure enough, about a week later, it came. And I will tell you straight up, it was one of the most impacting parenting tools anyone has ever given us. As a matter of fact, probably in all the years of ministry that I, I've been doing this, we've probably given out no less than 50 of those CDs to people who were interested in having a little bit of help about something going on in their house in regards to their kids and helping to see some different behaviors than they were experiencing. In it, Jim helped us with some specifics on what I consider to be an absolute essential to building a Christian home, and that is establishing a framework for making life choices. Don't know about you, but our kids weren't born making wise choices. They were built to make wise choices. And I just want to share that with you just as a, as a fellow struggler on his journey through life. Not done yet. Even though they're out of the house, have their own homes, have their own marriages, and maybe soon their own families, God willing, <laughs> the jury's still out. But wow, I just want to say this morning, if you're our guest and you walked in here today kind of kicking some tires to find out what this Kerrville Church of Christ is all about, you walked right into the middle of a series called Home Depot. That's why the sign in the back. And it's focusing on the truth Scripture tends to reveal. It says this, um, discipleship central, maturing and growing up your children, where, where, where that happens is more in a holy home than it is in a holy building. Now, this holy building with its four walls can help, but it's nothing like the four walls of your home and what God can do there to help raise up children who are head over heels in love with Jesus Christ. One of the things that we've been studying so far is that when it comes to building a custom home, which that's the foundation of a custom home that Gail built for us in Rudos in New Mexico. When it comes to building a custom home, it's got to start with a great foundation. Well, when it comes to building a Christian life, it does too. A great foundation for us is a grace foundation. And we talked about that in our very first lesson. And everybody in here this morning, I want to remind you again, who has a relationship with Jesus Christ, who said, yes, I, I trust that what Jesus did at that cross took care of everything that I couldn't do. And his blood being shed there made it right between me and God. I accept, I put my faith in that and trust that the same God who raised him from the dead will also raise me from the dead. If you've done that, then you've got a grace foundation in your life. And God can, listen to me clearly, help you establish a grace foundation in your home. You, you can't have a Christian home without it. Number two, you've got to have a great contractor. Now, there's our great contractor on the job in uh, Rudos in New Mexico and that really is, I'm not, being, I'm not joking for those of you who are guests, my wife was the chief contractor on that particular house. And I mean, she was the general contractor. She just was. And we needed her to be. We invited her to be that because she was prepared. She had a plan. She had worked three years in, the, in, in trying to get trained how to do that, hanging sheetrock, uh, putting on roofs, painting, you name it. She had done that. She got prepared. And the same thing is true for anybody who wants to build a Christian home. Those just don't happen. You just don't... Become a Christian, have a couple of kids, and wing building a Christian home or wing just hoping it happens, raising children who are head over heels in love with Jesus Christ. No, that, that comes with some healthy contractors, hopefully a team of contractors. 
a husband and a wife team. But you know, sometimes, and there was a time in our life when she was the only contractor in their home. We can't just wing it. It takes preparation. But if we do, if we prepare ourselves and if we trust God and we follow his lead, as we saw last week, it didn't matter what kind of home you came from, what color your skin was from the home that you came from, whether it was educated, uneducated. Remember Ruby Bridges? Oh, my goodness. If you haven't seen that particular video, if you were out of the room for some reason and didn't get to see the last part of that message and see Robert Cole processing what in the world happened with Ruby Bridges, a little six-year-old girl, then I want to encourage you to do that. Just Google Robert Coles and Google Ruby Bridges, and most likely it'll come up. Five minutes and about 32 seconds. Be sure and bring your box of Kleenexes. But a third thing, besides a great foundation and a great contractor, you also need to have a great framework for making life choices. They just don't happen. They just don't. When you start to develop the structure of your house, it's amazing how um, fun it gets when the walls and the, and the roof start forming. And again, that's our Ruidosa house as it went to that next stage of, of a great foundation. We got to finally stand up those walls and start to put the roof on. And I don't know if it was just two young home builders, but we would get our, our lawn chairs. We'd just sit out. Isn't that incredible? I mean, all the hours, all the money we had poured into, just the foundation alone, it seemed to take forever. And then all of a sudden, these walls went up, and, and the frames for the roof went up, and it was just unbelievable. So fun. Now, that's not me, all right? Not even on a bad day. I hope I look a little bit... No, I'm just joking. That's one of the, the guys that worked with Gail. But there's that home starting to take some shape in the front. And it was just so fun. And what I want to try to do is just make the parallel here that the same thing begins to happen. Once you've laid a grace foundation in your home and all of a sudden you start with, with whatever age it actually takes place, different homes it takes place at different ages, but where you start actually building the framework for them to make choices on their own and you see that they're wise choices, choices that you are thrilled that they've made, choices that they are godly, helpful, beneficial to those around, I'm telling you, you want to just get a lawn chair and sit down and go, Martha, look, little sissy's making them, look. It's just that stunning. At least it was for us. How do you do that? How do you go about raising up a framework for your children to be able to make wise decisions and wise choices in? Well, I'm just going to say this right up front. It isn't easy. It's just not. As a matter of fact, Jesus isn't going to back off on, on saying this at all. In regards to making wise choices for anybody, it's just not easy at all. Because great choices make for great lives, and Satan can't stand to see, especially people running around with God's name on them, experiencing great lives. He's going to make it difficult. But Jesus is going to be clear, regardless of the fact that there's a Satan in this world or not, disastrous choices lead to disastrous lives, and those are on you for the most part. In Matthew chapter 7, in verse 13, Jesus is wrapping up one of the greatest messages ever preached in the world. He's trying to tell people how to have the best life possible in this world in the Sermon on the Mount. And, and he's coming toward the conclusion when he says, Enter through the narrow gate, for wide is a gate and broad is a road that leads to destruction, and many enter through it, but small is a gate and narrow the road that leads to life, and only few find it. Now, I want to go back and, and read the words again that Scott read so well a few moments ago, because I love this paraphrase about that. Don't look for shortcuts when it comes to God. You see, the market's flooded with surefire, easy-going formulas to have a successful life that can be practiced in just your spare time. Don't fall for that stuff. Even the crowds do that. 
The way to life, the way to God, is vigorous and requires total attention. And I added the last line, and few choose that option. Maybe it goes without saying, I don't know, but I added it in. Can I ask you to be one of the few that, that goes to the, the effort to make wise choices? That's not easy. It's always going to be difficult because there's always going to be the Satan there that's going to try to stop us from doing it. But I'm going to ask you, just as, as humbly and as quietly as I can, would you please go to the effort? I'll do what I can to do my best to go to the effort to make wise choices for you and your kids, but I need you to do it for me because I can't make it down that narrow road without you with me and alongside me doing just the same. You be one of the few. Sister, your experiencing life comes down to the choices that you make. Now, I don't know how you hear that, but I hear it as good news. I love the fact that, that it's not already destined for me to have a terrible life because my parents did such a crummy job of being a mom or a dad in my life that that's not going to be part of my destiny forever because I've, I inherited such a crummy set of parents to help me do this. No, God says your chance at a great life to move down this narrow path is on you. You can choose along with the many, the broad, wide road that leads to destruction, but I'm letting you know you can choose life. You can. You can choose life despite the, the economic background you came from. You can, you can choose life despite the DNA you can. You can choose life despite the, the mistakes and failures that you've made that you think are going to haunt you for the rest of your life. No way. Not on God's watch. Here's what he says about this. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Now, we throw that verse around for everything. Football games, baseball games. But if it applies to anything, it applies certainly to a Christian home. Regardless of, of what I'm bringing with me in my efforts to try to be a part of one. God says, I want you to understand something. With my help, anything can happen. He says it this way in Romans 8, 31 through 32. If God is for us, who could be against us? He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all. How will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? Mom and Dad, one of the greatest gifts you can give your kids is a framework for making great decisions in life. And if you would do that, God says, certainly I will. And I want you to know this morning, I'm going to show you some things that show absolutely. Here's one of the questions that um, I hope brings back some memories. Because here's one of those wise filters that we were given about, talked about almost a year ago. Andy Stanley did a fabulous job of wrapping up some things Paul says in the book of Ephesians. And he did it this way, that one of the ways that we, we have wisdom, one of the ways that we, we can help ourselves avoid a lot of the mistakes and destruction this life, in this life we can experience is this, in view of my past experiences, my present circumstances, and my future hopes and dreams, asking, what's the wise thing to do here? Man, I've heard so much feedback from that. I still say it myself as I'm driving down the road some days. I still use it as I'm going into some difficult situations of myself. But you know what? That's hard to teach a two-year-old. Uh, honey, in view of your past experiences, your present circumstances, that, that didn't work with a two-year-old. But you know what? A two-year-old can start to make some choices. Little child psychologists tell me. Now, it may be Passy or Baba. But even at the age of two, they're making choices. Now, this is where I hope for every child in this room, every adult, that, that some of our choices wind up going through this particular filter. And how you get there is helping a child learn that they, too, can make wise choices for their lives. 
Jim Faye says there's two types of parents, parents that are going to handicap kids, though, because they don't understand how important children making their own decisions are. The first one's this, the helicopter parent. Make a lot of noise, are really, really big, and love to come to the rescue. Jim says helicopter parents are prone to hover over kids no matter what their age, rescuing and protecting and transporting. He says it's easy to discover who the helicopter parents are. He says just stand down at your local school and you'll see them coming in and out with the front door with sack lunches and field trip permission slips and homework and assignments and band instruments and and coats. If they aren't packing something, they've forgotten somewhere for one of their children. They're running interference and doing errand forms constantly. And they live to hear the phrase, I don't know what we'd do without you, Mom. I don't know what we'd do without you, Dad. And the answer is, a lot. If mom or dad wasn't doing it for them. Helicopter parents really look good when it comes to taking care of their children. But the problem is they're handicapping them, Jim says. They're rescuing them from being able to make some decisions on their own and experience the consequences on their own. And, and you know what? In the sportsman household, that wasn't easy to do. This was not a hard thing for Gail and I. Neither one of us are helicopter parents much at all. We'll get to the second one in just a moment of what we are, what we struggle with. But, but our girls went without some of those lunches and didn't, didn't have their coat brought to them and maybe had more homework to do than that afternoon when they got home because they had to do both what they had to do and then maybe some extra for the teacher who had some consequences of her own. And that wasn't always easy to see them struggle with some of those things. It wasn't, I'm hungry. In America? Missing a meal? Go hungry? One? No. What Gil and I struggle with were being drill sergeants. That's what we struggle with. Both of us were raised by a couple of drill sergeants, and so that was kind of our default. But you know what? I think for most of us, when we get a little angry or hungry or frustrated, it's our default parenting style. And drill sergeants, you can't miss them either. They're often hurt as well. The trouble with you is you don't listen. Didn't I tell you this was going to happen? Now try and pay attention, look at me, put the video gum, put it down and look at me and I'm about to tell you what you need to do. Now that, that's a default for me. I mean I don't, have to, I don't have to wake up in the morning and try to go there. That's just where I go without some prayer and some seeking God and saying, would you help me be a better person than that, especially when I've got kids in the house. Jim writes, drill sergeants are prone to giving orders and believe that their rank and position need to be obeyed. Obedience to demands and commands is key. Feedback and questions are rarely welcome because the goal is compliance, not conscious thought. Questions about why or suggested options, that's irrelevant and discouraged and often met with because I said so or because I'm the parent. And you know what occasionally? I think you need to say because I said so or I'm the parent. But that's not supposed to be, or it doesn't have to be the way that I lead most days. Now, the helicopter parent and the drill sergeant parents can keep children alive. It gets them through school and out of the house. But the third parenting type that Gil and I were introduced to when we were parents just in our sixth or seventh year provided a lot more of a positive environment and a meaningful environment and a value-filled environment that I think either the two other two options presented, and that was the consultant. Uh-oh, that disappeared. The consultant parent. Help me with this so that you don't forget it. Say consultant. Okay. Not the helicopter, not the drill sergeant, but a consultant. Someone that would rather lead than lecture. Someone who would rather not demand, but demonstrate. Not dictate and dominate, but disciple. That's what a consultant is. 
They lead by example with their lives, not just with their words. They teach, yes, but they're heard loudest because of who they are, not what they say or demand. Now, that's Jim's definition. But you know what? Having walked through the material and actually seen it in place and working in a home, oh, my goodness, God, thank you for helping me come to an understanding that I didn't have to be the drill sergeant and I certainly didn't have to be the helicopter to help raise my kids to make wise decisions in the world. See, every parenting style has a unique message it sends to its children. The helicopter parent communicates to the child, you're fragile. You can't make it without me. You need, to, you need for me to run interference for you. You need for me to protect you. The drill sergeant sends this message. You can't think for yourself. I'm not sure you're ever going to measure up. I've got to do your thinking for you. God put me here to boss you and tell you what to do. But the consultant parent says, you better think because the quality of your life is going to be greatly impacted by the quality of your choices. Gail and I were doing our best to be consultant parents when the little incident that I began this sermon with started to unfold. But I'll tell you more about that in just a minute. What we did do in trying to be the consultant parents was put together three things by suggestion, not only from Jim, but other books that we had read, that were as clear as we possibly could make, both to our kids and to ourselves, about how we could be consultant parents and not necessarily drill sergeants or helicopters. The first is this, clear expectations for behavior and values. The second was this, consistent celebrations for great choices and consequences for poor ones. And the last one was continuing opportunities to establish independence. We wanted our kids out of our house and wanted them to know it. We did. We'll come back to that in just a minute. Clear expectations. Kept them simple. Love God and love your neighbor. Consistent values. Kept them simple. Fruits of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, and self-control. Faithfulness. We valued those more than we valued great grades. We valued those more than great times in the hundred. We valued those more than even yes, sir, and no, ma'am. Because we wanted to see those things come alive in our kids. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, and faithfulness, and self-control. More so than we wanted a lot of things that would be on a lot of our lists about how we want to see our kids perform in this life. Number two, consistent celebrations for great choices and consequences. How in the world do you pull that one off? Well, for us, it was sticker sheets. I don't know if you do this in your home. We're not the only ones surely in this entire room who's ever done this. But from the time that they were four years old to the time that they left the house as seniors, we used sticker sheets in our house. It was part of a daily ritual in our house because we determined that these little beggars who didn't have a dime to their name needed some money in their lives. They were living off the dole in the sportsman household, so we came up with a sportsman reward system. And that is the choices that we saw in their lives that helped them love God and love mom and dad and love their sister and those around them. When we saw those choices, those were rewarded on a daily basis. We made a list of them. There was four or five. I think the maximum was about probably seven. But every day we would sit down with them and say, okay, now we just want to, we want to tell you thank you for the great ways in which you've chosen well today. And we'd start with uh, attitude for mom and dad. Was it respectful? Was it honoring? Um, cleaned a room? Um, and we just went on that, down the list of things that we knew they could do, but they were going to have to choose to do, and they only got rewards for them if they did it without being asked to do it. Because that involved them choosing. Here's, here's our expectations. We made them clear. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to reward you with monetary value. Because you know what? I don't know about you, but we had these kids that came into our home, 
And they wanted privileges and clothes and entertainment and travel and competing in sports and taking dance and the latest video game. It's on and on and on and on and on. And again, without any money to purchase any of that. Well, we wanted them to be able to do as much as they could, and so we set up the Sportsman Reward Program, and that is you pay half, we pay half for all of those things. Now, there was birthday gifts and there were Christmas gifts, but we were looking at a world that pretty much operated by the sowing and reaping principle. Effort was rewarded with income out here in the real world, and so as soon as we could, we wanted to help them develop that in their life. And come payday, oh baby, they loved it. Most days, when they've had a good week of making choices that earn them sportsman rewards. And there in that moment, you know what we were able to do? There, four, five, six, fourteen, sixteen, to teach them about tithing. Putting aside 10% for God to give away to people who didn't have the blessings that they had. And another 10% to save and to learn a principle of learning to live off of 80%. That started when they were four years old in our home. I told you building building a life, building a child who can go out into his world and make wise choices and live independently, that's hard. And it was daily in our house. And it was difficult. The nights of sitting on our couch, they were not all kumbaya nights. Those were difficult nights some nights. But you know what? Most of them were absolutely fun. Absolutely, because we were catching them doing good. We were catching them and rewarding them for the things we saw them making that were going to help them become fully functioning disciples of Jesus Christ. Some days it just wore us out. Some days we you go get the sticker sheets, please. Attitude, mom and dad. Memory verse. Just we're tired. Because it's not easy. But God blessed it. I'm not saying it works for everybody, but for our house, it was one of the ways that we didn't have to constantly stay on them and be the nag, nag, nag. And dads, you do that as well as any mom ever thought about doing it. We just didn't want to do that. Didn't want to be helicopter parents. We certainly didn't want to be drill sergeant parents. And the, the word consultant's kind of a funky name to put on a parent, but you know what? Becoming a, a coach and becoming a facilitator, becoming a, con a consultant, it sounds a whole lot better than being a dictator. And that was our aim. Jim said, whenever you run into a behavior... Whenever you run into a problem with your child that's just not working and it's not, it's not helping your family and it's certainly not helping them, always be clear about what you're going to do in regards to a dilemma or a problem and then ask them what they're going to do. He said, the reason why is it's hard for them to argue with you and think at the same time. And so we did. We sat our girls down one night on the couch and we were empathizing with them about how difficult it was to get up. Man, we, we'd been fifth graders and third graders before and realized, man, with Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Friday, it's just, it's just hard to get up and go to school. So we empathized with them first. And then we actually apologized. And we said, you want, we want you to know we're sorry. We've allowed some of our mornings here to become just so chaotic and so full of tension because we've been angry with you. We're going we're gonna to stop that. Really? Yes. Here's one of the things that we want to do. We've bought you an alarm clock. And out came the alarm clock. And I mean, their eyes got huge. Really? Our own alarm clock? Oh, yeah. Just like mommy and daddy's? Absolutely. Let me show you how this thing works. And we had it plugged and tried, <clears throat> took them to the room, showed them how to... Didn't show them where the snooze button was, okay? They didn't know it had a snooze button. But they knew how to turn it off. Come back to that in a minute. And we said, you know what? Okay, here's what we want to do. In the morning, y'all know you have to leave the house at 745 to be able to catch a bus. It was about two blocks down. You've got to leave at 7.45 or by the time you get there, the bus is going to be gone. So we want you to know that if by chance you oversleep 
um, and you don't get up, we're encouraging you, don't leave the house, okay, after 7.45. And they went, where are you going to be? So we're not going to be here. We've already talked to George and Carlene, and they know that if they get a phone call from you before 9 o'clock, and you probably need to call before 9 because George has a busy life too. And he may not be there after 9, but if you call before 9 o'clock, you know what George has promised to do? He said he'll come over, he'll pick you up, and he'll take you to school. But it's going to cost you two bucks a piece. That was the first time they'd heard of that. That's a lot of money. Yes, it is. It was half of their weekly allowance at the time. So two bucks from Tabitha, two bucks for Lauren. And so I took him over the phone. I said, here's where George's phone number is. Can you see it clear? Let's practice this. We're going to call George. George loved all this. So they called George and said, hello, George. Hi, Lauren. How are you? What are you doing? We're practicing you being the bus man. <laughs> and so we sat down on the couch, and here's where Jim said, He said, okay, now you tell him what you're going to do. Here's what we're going to do. Mom and I are going to get up tomorrow morning because we've got to get to work. Mom's learning how to be a contractor. This was in the early stages of her learning how to do that. And I've got to be at my work by 8 o'clock to get my day done so that I can be home and love you guys. And so here's what we're going to do. We're going to leave at 745, and we hope you're leaving with us. We'll all go together. We'd love to have you at breakfast because we love having breakfast with you. But you know what? If you choose to sleep in, here's what you need to do. Here's the phone number for George. You call George, and he'll come over and pick you up. But remember, you've got to bring your two bucks because he won't take you there without $2. And then the day came. Not the first day because the first day they were loving the alarm clock thing. It took one day. Hit the button and we're out again, all right? And instead of running in there and being the drill sergeant, instead of running in there and being the helicopter, please, please, please get up. You better get up. We told you. We had a plan to help them experience the consequences of choices that we hoped that they were going to experience while they're still in our home because they're going to be a lot pricier when they got out of the home. And they missed an exam at school and college that may cost them their semester grade. Or they missed an opportunity to get a job interview because you, you get the picture, folks. I'd rather them pay that price tag while they're still under my roof and it's still pretty cheap than the expensive ones that come out here in the adult world. And they are expensive, amen? They are. And i got to be honest, I was pretty giddy about this. They forgot. They went back to sleep. It's going to be incredible. And then all of a sudden I got in the car and left and my stomach started just boiling with anxiety. Are we really going to go through with this? And we did. And again, you know I got the phone call. And as soon as I hung up, I called George. George, you're not going to believe it. It actually happened. <laughs> I said, get ready because they're going to be calling you next. And I said, I can't talk long. Bye. And sure enough, within five minutes, Lauren had called. George, will you come pick us up? <laughs> he said, honey, I'll be there as fast as I can. It'll probably take me about 30 minutes. She said, Okay. And George was smiling. He said, all the way over there. And he said, they, they, they started coming down. We lived kind of uphill from where the street was. And he said, as they came down, they were just dragging their books. I mean, lips on the ground like this, you know. And he said, they had their $2 in one hand and their books in the other. <laughs> now, for those of you on the tape, these are all parents that you heard just laugh right now. No, no child in here is laughing. <laughs> ha, 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 ha. They got in the car, didn't say a word unless they were asked a question. They always, they always responded. And George got home. He said, they're, they're at school safe. Now, did we ever have to do that more than once? <laughs> no. Amazingly, I texted Lauren this week and said, what do you remember most about the uh, incident where we had George come pick you up for school? She texted two words, embarrassment and fear. 
Do you know those are healthy emotions for children to experience in a safe environment? They really are. Because when you get out here and have to experience embarrassment and fear, it has a bigger price tag, much bigger price tag. Now, there were other issues that didn't work nearly as smooth with training sessions that we set up for other things. But I'll tell you this, though. Our ability to talk to our kids without being drill sergeants and having to swoop in and be helicopters changed almost immediately. It made us better. I don't know how much it did for the kids, but it made us better parents. And life was better in our house, especially the mornings. And some other things, because we would just simply say, Remember what happened when you forgot to wake up on school day. Here's what we're asking our kids to do. Follow some clear expectations and behaviors that the sportsmen have in our home. And with that, we're going to find some consistent celebrations to celebrate the good things that they're doing and making of a great choices and consequences for making poor ones. And then the last one, continuing opportunities to establish their independence to get them out. Ask my girls next time that they're here, ask them how many times, if they had a dollar for every time their daddy said, you know, one of our hopes is that you're going to leave soon. And we're working really hard at that, especially when I was getting a lot of attitude, all right? But they knew from the earliest of ages that part of our goal was to release them. And we're going to talk a little bit more about that in the upcoming weeks. That there was a door to our house, and one day we hoped that we'd see them walking out it for a long period of time. And there was even a plan, there still is a plan in place. You ask them how many months it is, but if they have to come back home, it's for three months only, and then we renegotiate. Could happen. Could happen. But this just doesn't happen. You don't just wing this thing. And we didn't. And does that make us super parents? Heavens no. We were, we were miserable parents in so many ways. God raised our kids in spite of us. But we've learned a couple of things going down the road that I hope help. I really do hope help. Now, where in the world did those three things come from? They really didn't come from Jim Fay. They came from Scripture. And they came from how God parents us. Isn't he pretty clear about his expectations for behavior and values? On a daily basis, doesn't he bless us and give us things for great choices and allows us, Hebrews chapter 12 says, disciplinary moments where we experience consequences for poor ones? Yes. Is he continuing to help us establish being able to stand on our two feet and make decisions, wise decisions, based on our past history and our present circumstances and our future hopes and dreams? Yes. He does it every day. Now, let me ask you this. Is he a helicopter? Rarely. On occasion, he is. He'll swoop in and rescue us when we had no clue or felt like we deserved to be rescued. He'll do that occasionally. But most of the time, if my life is a reflection of yours, mm, he follows the sowing and reaping principles a lot. Is he a drill sergeant? He can be. When someone that he's called to this stage up here on his behalf is a drill sergeant and said, you're not listening, come on, we can do better, you're, come on, that'll be a little bit of a drill sergeant. But most of the time he's a consultant. You woke up this morning breathing his air. You woke up this morning eating his food. You woke up this morning wearing his clothes. You woke up this morning driving in his car, is going to go home to his house all of them gifts that he's provided to you. And he's not said probably one thing to you about what you need to do in response back. Now you can find out some expectations and some values that he has for you, but you know what? He's pretty much standing on the sidelines wondering, is anybody going to turn in my direction? And together as an assembly this morning, we said, yes, Lord, you can count on us. 
We want to come together as a family and say thank you. We want to come together and celebrate you. We want to come together and be reminded how we can be like you. I'm going to ask, as we do the invitation right now, to do this in a very special way. If you are a parent who has a fifth grader, okay, or down to a small infant, would you please stand? If you're a parent, single parent, or mom or dad, and you've got a fifth grader down to a small, small child close to birth, would you please stand? If you will, if this is a choice that you would like to make, would you as a group of people say this with me? Here we go. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. One more time. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. I hope that's more than just parroting. I hope it's parenting. And so now I'm going to ask for everybody else who's around them, would you please stand up and put your hands around those folks because we're going to pray over them real quick that they're able to do what, what they just committed to doing as a family with us. Get comfortable where you need to. Ty's up here by himself on the front row, so you guys come surround him up here with some love. If you see some parents standing by themselves, don't let them be standing by themselves. Here we go. Father in heaven, we love you. We thank you so very much for the way that you've loved us. You know better than anyone in this room what it's, what it's like to be a parent to love your children and, and to see them make choices that hurt them and hurt you. Thank you, Father, for being willing to experience everything that a human can experience by sending your son into this world. And we are sorry for breaking your heart. We're sorry for making choices that are unwise, that hurt us and hurt other people. Please forgive us. But today, we recommit, we say to you, we will do the best that we can to be a consultant just like you that we will do all that we can to make clear the expectations of behaviors and values that we have for our kids. We'll do what we can to catch them doing great things and not just correcting bad things. And we'll do what we can to help them, Father, become fully functional disciples of Jesus Christ, able to go into the world on their own with your help and be everything that you've called them to be. We commit to be that in Jesus' name and everyone said.